the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, good afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm, along here with Ian Simpkins, and welcome to the first rendition of The Common Good. Ian, we're here, man. We made it. Can't be, can't be, couldn't be more excited. This is uh, the, the maiden voyage of The Common Good here on 1160, uh, Hope for Your Life, and we are excited to get rolling. Uh, quick introductions. Again, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. And uh, live with my family in Downers Grove and uh, filled in a couple times last year. But now that we're doing this on a regular basis, just really looking forward uh, to diving in and connecting uh, and being a part of the show. And I'm the uh, teaching pastor of Community Christian Church, Naperville's Yellow Box. If you're in that area, perhaps you've seen it. Uh, my wife and our one-year-old son live in Naperville, and we're due with baby number two on my birthday, February 21st. So <laughs> a lot of exciting changes coming up in the uh, coming weeks for us. So what you're telling us is in the first couple months here of the show, you are going to be sleep-deprived. I'm not even sure I'm here right now, to be honest. <laughs> it's, uh, that's going to be good. Well, we will continue to uh, introduce ourselves as we work our way through today and tomorrow and some other days. Um, but the weather, I'd like to start with shows talking about the weather, and it's gray and dreary <laughs> today, which is apropos uh, for the mood of the city. Literally everybody that I've interacted with today, uh, like, it just seems to have like a, like a cloud over them, just this frowny, sad Chicago day today. Uh, and some of you who may have been living in a hole over the last 24 hours maybe don't know what is causing that. Uh, if, you're on your, if you're in your car right now, you might want to pull over because this could be painful if you're a big Bears <laughs> fan. But as a reminder, here's what happened yesterday. Three-yard attack in the right hash mark. run out into the field but there's still five seconds so they've got to get back he does it again you'll recognize the voice of al michaels the great al michaels there cody parkey there on the field of soldier field hitting the uprights again so painful so painful i heard people screaming throughout my entire neighborhood it was uh and it brings up this question first of all uh just I'm not a Bears fan, but I was pulling for them yesterday. I, I'll, I'm from the East Coast. I'm a New York Giants fan, but uh, was pulling for the Bears yesterday. Uh, but there were so many jokes going into the game that were like, I know how this is going to end. This is going to end with Parkey hitting, a, hitting an upright. It's going to end with Parkey an upright. And then that it happened. What was your reaction when you saw that? I mean, so I'm, I'm from Detroit, so I'm, I'm a Lions fan first. Uh, thanks for the condolences. But I've, <laughs> I've been in Chicago now uh, a little over 15 years. So, uh, it was, it was painful because I'm following along on social media while I'm watching the game 
and I and I know people that have been you know born and raised in this city, and it it was it was heart. You could just feel the anguish of a city, and you could feel, you could feel his anguish too. It was just this massively like deflating, like how how could this happen again? It was it was it was actually kind of surreal. Yeah, and here's the question: You used a great word, deflating. Uh, it's in moments like this where you realize how much we put into things like sports. Right. And I am guilty, guilty as charged. I have lost many an hour of sleep because of a bad <laughs> Giants loss or if it's baseball, a bad Mets loss. Um, but, man, Cody Parkey's getting death threats. Yeah. Cody Parkey is getting, like, just humiliated by people and just just worked over to the point that his, his teammates are having to stand up for him and stuff. Uh, doesn't that feel a little strange? Yeah, it's strange in for a number of different reasons. One, it's sort of like, why are we so affected by this, right? Like, why, when our team, you know, our our boys, our, when when that happens, why why does that hit us at such an emotional level? And it's interesting because you know, I I, I grew up playing a, like a little bit of soccer, but I wasn't, I just wasn't that good at athletics in general. But like, still to this day, when I play pickup soccer, my wife's like, you become a, a different person. Yeah. Like, you're not even good. Why are you so? worked up by that it's, it's funny because like i i usually don't have an answer like i don't know why there's certain things that just resonate so when like a city rallies around a team like the bears it's it's way more than just uh oh, i better luck next year i guess it just feels like like a loss that everyone is sustaining now the the death threats thing though like people are posting his address That's a like, bit far oh my goodness yeah. i can't even imagine like what what that must be like on the receiving end for him like what's what do you think is going through his mind right now well yeah he's he's probably questioning whether he'll have a job but i think one reason we do it uh is because of how much money these guys make to yeah. be honest with you people are like well you had one job to kick it between those two posts and uh and we're giving you eight million dollars, five million dollars, whatever to do it. But I do think like uh, athletes and, and entertainers, they become just kind of like laundry to us. Right. Like I mm. root for the Bears, but you don't think that that guy's got a real life. Right. He's got a right. family or right. whatever. Um, but, man, I know <laughs> I, I feel like I'm raising my son to be as rabid a fan as I am. Mm. Uh, like, I watch how dejected he gets when, when his team loses. Yeah. Not even the team that he's on. Like, it's one thing. I can understand it if it's the team that you're on. But but another team, it, it does kind of ask us the question of, like, what are the priorities that we're living with right now? Right. Um, and I'm guilty as charged on that one. Well, the thing that's interesting is the, the dichotomy between the two, though, right? So on one end, you call it, like, laundry, you know? So it's just... You forget that this is a real person with a real life and family. On the other end, though, don't you feel like sometimes we, like we over glorify the athlete or the movie no. star? We're like we're we're amazed when they make an immoral decision, and we're like, why, mm. why simply because they made a bunch of cash? They're good at a game, and I'm not saying that's insignificant, but sometimes it feels like we we so elevate them to this level of like a deity in some circles. Like what a why are we surprised when so and so, you know, something's caught on tape or so and so makes a bad decision? I'm not, I'm not excusing it, but it's interesting that we like put, we put so much stock in, you know, their their particular opinion simply because they excel at a particular sport. Yeah, I think that's fascinating to me. And I do think people are mad at the kicker. Kickers are easy to get mad at, but yeah. it is interesting. Cody Parkey's a man of faith, from right. what I read. Right, and uh, to see. Uh, he has been getting you know a little bit mocked for his reaction, just mm. basically. But I feel like he had the right perspective. Now I don't think he had much of a choice, but uh, his perspective was like, you know what? Like this stinks. I feel terrible. I think that was his exact phrase. I feel terrible. Like I let my team down. Right. Um, 
but that, you know, this isn't the most important thing in my life and, and I right. will get by it. And I think that's, that's a good perspective to have. Well, and it, he was, he was even seen and he, and he consistently does this. He was praying before the game, you know, and I think that that, I was even honestly having this moment yesterday thinking, man, how, how often when I face a massive failure in my life, prayer is not my first response. Yeah. It's not my first instinct. Like it's, if I'm being really honest, sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's, it's just a spiral, you know, like it's so often when we're faced with some sort of dejection or some sort of failure, we let not just ourselves down, but like a team of people down or our family or our church. Like I, I actually really appreciated that, that posture. It, it's, it makes me sad that he's uh, receiving so much negative uh, press and comments at this point. But what would our words be to the people who out there are feeling like, genuinely depressed by the uh, that the weather is matching the mood right yeah. now after that bears loss yesterday i mean i think first is it's all right to be worked up by this it's okay to look legitimately i think often in christian circles we don't we don't deal with sadness well at all whether it's a sport thing or a marriage thing or a family thing like i, th- I think it's okay to feel the weight of that there's something about like man this is my city this is my team but just like what you were saying maybe a healthy posture is like okay i'm going to actually grieve that i'm not going to pretend that i'm not sad but then I'm also going to look at the priority of like, man, God, there's still a lot of great things going on in my life. I have a lot to be grateful for and maybe keeping those things in, in right perspective. <laughs> I think perspective is probably the right word Yeah, uh, with all sorts of things in our lives, just the things we get worked up about and then the things we don't get worked up about. Uh, I think those are some things we're going to want to talk about uh, as this show goes along. But uh, really sad for you out there, Bears fans. Uh, the weather, like we said, it's a beautiful 50 degrees or whatever, but it's raining and it's uh, gray out there. And uh, I think it matches the mood. Um, but like we said, Ian and I are excited to be a part uh, of this new show uh, called The Common Ground. And uh, Ian, when we come back after the next break, we're going to talk about this name and why we named it this. But um, maybe real fast, tell us just a couple things about yourself. Well, first, before any, uh, say anything else, the, the name is called The Common Good. Oh, I just, just, so, just so we're clear. Yes. <laughs> Common Ground is a coffee shop somewhere. Uh, yeah. I think we're, we need like a jar here in which we've <laughs> got to put in fine money every time I name it after a coffee shop. <laughs> right, I support that. Um, but you asked a little bit about myself, right? So yeah. uh, he, here's my story in a nutshell. I grew up outside Detroit uh, to two lovely parents, the oldest of seven kids, six boys and a baby girl. So pray for my sister. Uh, homeschool family had a, a pastor that kind of reached out to me to give me a chance to preach. I didn't want to, but, uh, he insisted and I preached the worst sermon ever uttered by human lips. It was awful, but a little, little old lady came up to me at the end and said, uh, that was awful, but I believe that God has given you a voice and need to learn how to use it. And so that brought me to Chicagoland to study youth ministry at Judson University and then became a youth pastor and then a lead pastor and I'm teaching pastor with community and, We'll uh, we'll share a little bit more of that a bit later, but uh, I'm, man, I'm I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm excited for the future of this show and just this conversation that we're going to engage with together. Yeah, we were telling people it feels like the first day of school today. For it us. really like does. I woke up a little nervous. I think you said, you know, you packed your lunchbox and your yeah, trapper keeper, that's right, and away you went. But by way of introduction, uh, again, my name is Brian. My wife is Carrie. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, I have a high school a freshman daughter. Uh, by the name of Madeline, a fifth-grade son named Jackson, and a fourth-grade daughter named Emily. They keep us busy. Uh, We love them to death. And uh, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, uh, which was a church plant out of Glen Ellen Bible Church. And so uh, just love being a pastor. Love, love, love being a pastor. And now to have this venue here, uh, to to have a bigger platform to talk about Jesus, uh, really excited about it. 
Well, we got through our first segment, man. We made it. We did it. Nobody turned off our microphones. <laughs> uh, we're going to run to break now. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the show. I'm going to get the name right, The Common Good. <laughs> and we're going to talk about what is at the heart of this show. Stay with us. Hope you come back. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm, and I'm here along with my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Ian, segment two, here we go. You got the name right. I'm really proud of you. Well done. <laughs> Those of you who are with us in the first segment, I got the name of the, the show wrong, but we're back in. <laughs> we're back in. And in fact, the name The Common Good was chosen with a purpose. And we want to take just a couple minutes and talk about that because I think we're both really excited uh, about the name of this show, The Common Good. Uh, so, Ian, uh, what excites you? Why did we name it? The common good. Well, I, I really love the word common in general because it's got it's got two really important meanings. One, uh, it talks about what we share, like what unites us. We talk about the common fears or struggles or hopes or dreams, re- regardless of where you're at in life or your story. Like there's there's stuff that all of us wrestle through just as humans, just as people. But the the other meaning of common is like the ordinary, the mundane. How, how do we you know, we often kind of live life, I think, in between these like mountaintop and valley moments, which are significant for sure. But mo- most of life is sort of lived in this what we would call like common space, this yeah. ordinary space. And so how do how do I actually live intentionally in my nine to five thinking about my mortgage or my kids or my, my marriage or my community? How, how do we actually help give categories and handles for like hopefully maybe seeing with new lenses the stuff that's just like in our lives yeah. ordinarily? And so much of our lives uh, is is divided by what we don't have in common. Right. That that is so much about our culture. Uh, is you know you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, uh, you're black, you're white, you're rich, you're poor. Right. And and we get into our camps, uh, even theologically in the church. No right. Kidding. Like uh, you you know you're an Episcopal and you're a Baptist or right. whatever else. And and yes, it's important to have these discussions about the things that we may not agree with or may divide us. Uh, but ultimately, what we want to say, especially as followers of Jesus, uh, is that there's a lot more that unites us than divides us. We have a lot more in common. And I think that is a spot for the church and for followers of Jesus to be able to make bridges now yeah. in a culture where people are used to being divided. That's right. Well, I think we don't have to look any further than social media, right? We have just these ever-increasing confirmation biases and echo chambers, and it's it seems sometimes like people just shouting over a chasm, like, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. And I think, obviously, there are times where you legitimately need to get to the facts, the truth of a matter. But I look at even, like, families and churches and communities that have been ripped apart, often over issues that, like, in the big scheme of things, aren't aren't that big a deal. And I think we're, in a, in a really sad way, sometimes we're losing the capacity to actually like listen to understand and not just listen to respond. Like, mm-hmm. tell me about your story. Like, let me actually enter into the humanity of whatever it is that you're dealing with. Bre- Brene Brown has this great concept. She said, people are hard to hate up close. Oh, like, if you find yeah. yourself like wanting to, to throw stones or be divided, she's like, lean in a little bit. Like, you'll mm-hmm. find this common humanity. It doesn't even mean that you're going to agree at the end of this discussion, but that there, there's there's something sacred, I think, in actually recognizing, like, okay, exact, exactly what you said. We may have more in common than I realized, and let's let's. What if we started there? I think if we start with the common, we can have better, more intelligent conversations about the complex realities of life. Yeah, and then the, and then the good portion is as as believers, you, you know, we want to go into the world and highlight what is good. Yeah, and we want to bring out of people what is good. 
Uh, and we want to focus on that. And so much about our world is not just about dividing about what makes us different, but it's also highlighting what is wrong with other people right. or other groups of people. And, and we kind of want to more unite than, than, than tear apart. And it's, and it's not like turning a blind eye to destruction and heartache. We, like that's, we're going to talk a lot about that, I think. There's, there's some raw, real pain and heartache uh, right under our noses at all times. I, I was actually just reading this neuroscience magazine that I was talking about. When it comes to things that are bad or ugly, our brains are like Velcro. But when it comes to things that are like good and beautiful, it's like Teflon. And for us to mm. actually receive like physiological, neurological benefits of like good and beautiful things it requires us to actually sit in it for a second, to focus on, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, beautiful sunset, and then you move on, or like a baby laughing, and then we move on. Like, the idea of not just not just obsessively doing good, but actually also recognizing the, the good that already exists in mm-hmm. our lives, like assuming a heart of gratitude, a posture of thankfulness, and I think it's not just a good, like, Christian idea. It's just, it's good biologically, it's good physiologically, and I think that if we could, if we could spend some time and energy, like, how do we, how do we point our efforts and energies towards, like, bringing some good and beauty and light to the world? Man, I, I, I would love to be a part of something like that. And, and we are, hopefully, uh, in the coming weeks and months as we do this show. Uh, I think one of our goals, I think something that's attracted you and I to this is not the ability to give people answers, right. but the ability to try to spur on conversation uh, that says, how do we think like Christians? How do we attack the complexities of this world like Christians? Yep. Uh, honestly, for me, one of the one of the postures that I would love for us to assume with this show is is rather than trying to convince, we're we're trying to invite. Yes. So it's it's not a matter of like I need you to believe exactly the way that I do to cross every T and dot every I the same way that I do. But what if we actually invited people to a journey to explore some of these topics, these ideas, to maybe engage in conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have? And I think. Even just knowing that, that instead of instead of convincing, we're trying to invite and trying to invite. I think that's a really important distinction. So we're excited. We hope that you take this journey with us. Uh, we're excited. And coming up next uh, on the common good, uh, Ian and I are both pastors, so we're going to talk about what do we preach this weekend? What are we preaching next weekend? What is God doing uh, in us? What are we prepping? And we're going to share some of that with you again. That's coming up next. We hope you stay with us on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. This is the common good. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I am Brian Fromm, uh, along here with my friend and co-host Ian Simpkins. Again, uh, I am the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Ian, why don't you reintroduce yourself? I'm the teaching pastor of Community Christian Church's Yellow Box, and it's called that because it's a big yellow box. <laughs> yes, mine would be called Dirty Warehouse if we did it that way. But <laughs> It's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> we, uh, today we're kicking off a new show here on AM 1160, again called The Common Good. And we spent the last segment talking about why we've called it that and just kind of painting what we're excited about. But uh, at our core, you and I are pastors. That's right. Again, I'm the pastor of Four Corners Community Church. You're the pastor uh, at the Yellow Box. Uh, and as part of our job, one of the things that you and I both, I would say, uh, are passionate about is teaching, teaching on a regular basis, on a Sunday to Sunday basis and preaching. And so we thought it'd be kind of fun on a Monday to talk about what did we just talk about yesterday yep. uh, and what's kind of coming up. Um, and so I can go first. You know, a, a New Year's message yesterday, uh, I had the opportunity to, to preach at our church and, and do a bit of a New Year's message. And every time we do a New Year's message, 
I, I find myself going the same direction, mm. and it's this. Uh, where do we get our identity? Huh. Uh, where do we get our, our identity? So I talked about that you've been created by Almighty God, mm. right? Knit together in your mother's womb. Uh, that you could be no more valuable than that. Uh, and then I talked about where do we get our status? In Christ, we are children of God. Uh, and then I talked about our calling. And out of that, we are ambassadors of Christ. That's great. And uh, I, I felt like it preached, man. And so, um, yeah, I feel like at the new year, we need to be reminded of who we are. Yeah. Because so many of us, the calendar turns, uh, and maybe you can speak to this, the calendar turns and it does come with like a time for resolutions and stuff, but I think it also comes with a time of regret yeah. and man, the calendar just keeps moving and what have I accomplished? What am I doing with my life? Well, and it's all that's coupled with too, like all these resolutions that we make that a lot of us abandon by February, you know, so it sort of compounds some of the maybe guilt that we felt from the last year. I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't do what I wanted to do. I think that's, that's a perfect new year's talk. I'm right. talking about identity. We, we actually had just wrapped up uh, an 11 week series. It's the longest I think in our history mm. called turn the page. We were taking this massive kind of overview look at the whole Bible. And it, it was remarkable. It, like people, honestly, they loved it more than I thought they were going to. We had discussion groups and we we're diving in deep to the, like to the story of scripture. And then that's we, awesome. we ended on the 30th and then, uh, uh, yesterday we had what we call Vision Sunday, and so we don't do this all the time, but we, it's called an all skate. And so it was a, it was a message uh, pre-recorded from our lead pastor Dave Ferguson about wh- where's this next year for us as a church. And he, he essentially talked about being uh, uh, healthy, generous, and multiplying. That's a, that's like the DNA of mm-hmm. who we want to be. And we talked about some new, like really exciting ventures. With uh, we're planting churches in prisons now through an effort called Community Freedom. We're hosting this family and marriage conference in February called the Together Conference. Like it's just, we just you know got a new a new uh, community pastor at Aurora, and we got to meet him and hear his story. Like it was a really cool time for the church as a whole to celebrate not only like what God has been doing, but that where we believe God is leading us in the future. That's and awesome. it was it was a remarkable Sunday. It was a blast. That's great. I did have this moment. Do you ever feel like you you make a confession to your people and you you said it and you kind of feel naked up there? Like oh, oh yeah. what did I just do? Uh, I talked about at the end of the message, I said, hey, guys, I think the reason I like to go back to this identity and value and status as a child of God and calling, uh, I then told them, I said, I think it's because I'm a card carrying people pleaser and I really Mm. care what people think about me. And I get a lot of my value. And I just kind of said, I said, I think I struggle with insecurity uh, while standing on stage and and really take a lot of my self-esteem from what other people think of me. And so I said, I think I'd go back to this message because I need to hear it over and over again, people pleasing stuff. That's all. I I think that those are the best sermons, the ones that preach to you first, right? When you're when you're walking up on a stage or to a podium and you think, man, I, I think I'm in the midst of wrestling through this. Yeah. I think people feel that that authenticity, and I think it is terrifying, right? Because you are sort of leaving yourself just a little raw up there, and and you're you're in a lot of ways like putting the power in their hands to sort of yeah. dash you to pieces if they want. And now you know you have a beautiful community that wouldn't do that, but it is that that can be nerve wracking. Say, Here, here's a piece of my heart that I'm not proud of, that, that actually that impacts me in ways I'm probably not even fully aware of. Like that, that I think, is good preaching, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was, uh, it, it, it was a message I needed to hear and continually need to hear for myself. Now, Ian and I, 
both of our churches beginning this week are going to be part of a Chicagoland initiative yep. called Explore God Chicago. Why yep. don't you tell the people who may not be aware, what is Explore God Chicago? I, I can't think the last time I was this excited about a series. It's a seven-week series. Um, you can go to exploregod.com to learn a little bit more about it. But something like a 1,000 Chicagoland churches mm-hmm. are taking part in this. You can go on the website, find a church near you that's doing it, and we're addressing these big seven questions that we think all people everywhere have asked in some way, shape, or form, questions like, does life have a purpose? Is Jesus really God? If God is good, how, how could he allow pain and suffering? And so each church is sort of answering that their own way so that it's this, this really beautiful ecumenical effort of the Chicagoland churches saying, these questions are important enough that we're going to all do this series together. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that's going to send a message to kind of the unchurched world. It's like, okay, maybe they're not as territorial as we thought. They're linking arms and doing this together. And so we're kicking off next week with the question, does life have a purpose? And, and I mean, who among us hasn't wrestled with that question in some capacity? No doubt. And what I'm excited about is along with this, churches are doing, at least our church is doing uh, a different night where people can come and sit in small groups and just have these discussions. Totally. And, uh, I think it's been fun for me to get together with other pastors and talk about these, but also, uh, like you said, that picture of churches coming together yeah. and saying, uh, we're going to try to tackle some stuff that everyone... People in my church are asking, your church, they're asking the questions, totally. how can I reconcile pain and suffering? And do I have a purpose? Uh, and to be able to, to tackle these questions, you know, if you're out there, friends, and you are not a part of a church, uh, get to ch- get to one of these churches that is doing it this week. Yeah. And, uh, and just begin the wrestling process. We believe Jesus is going to do a powerful work in the Chicagoland churches and in the community through Explore God Chicago. 100%. Honestly, part of the thing we're praying is that there would be just a breakthrough of God's Spirit, that the, the people that maybe had nev- never, never otherwise would darken the door of a church, uh, being intrigued by these questions and getting into one of those groups and just wrestling honestly with these big questions and giving people freedom to totally disagree on the conclusions. Yeah, so that's called Explore God Chicago. You see signs for it, billboards for it. Like Ian said, there's seven, 800 churches in the Chicagoland area doing it beginning this week. So if you're not a part of a church, we would encourage you uh, to go check it out. Well, again, uh, you are listening to the maiden voyage of the common good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue talking about issues of faith uh, and keeping this ship moving forward. So I hope you'll join us. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. This is the uh, day one, day one of a, what is going to be a beautiful journey, my friend, Can't here wait. on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life with The Common Good. We having fun so far? I'm having a blast. This is a good time. You can't see me time. dancing, but I am. <laughs> we are excited uh, to be together. Uh, Ian and I are going to lighten the mood a little bit here on this segment. We want to talk about... Uh, we're going to come up with a better name in the future for this, but how does this sound? Strange or funny things we found on the internet. Yeah, that doesn't really pop for me. We'll have to work on that. It's maybe. dangerous, though. <laughs> it feels dangerous. Let me let me start us off. Are you Please ready? Please do. All right. This is this one's, uh, feels like it's too ridiculous to be true. Sure. But if it's on the internet, it's true. Obviously. Right? That's, what, that's the premise we're working under. That's a terrible premise. The founder of Match.com. So you're aware of Match.com? Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, as an aside, I once told my wife I want us both to go on Match.com and see if they match us. And you're still married? Yeah, she didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> I can't. I'm with her on this it. one for the record. It's not that I would. We, anyway, just want to see if they match <laughs> sure, us together. Sure. But anyway, the founder of Match.com, Gary Kremen, 
lost his girlfriend to a guy she met on Match.com. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is uh, so unfortunate. It's funny. But somehow poetic in Come a on. Shakespearean kind of way. All right, here it these might be my favorite words that I've read in a long time. Are you ready, ready, are you ready for the headline? I'm, ready. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through it without laughing. Man assaulted convenience store employee with banana. <laughs> <laughs> Just can you imagine trying to go over the footage later that day, like to match the suspect? Like, couple things. Did he pay for the banana first? <laughs> I don't. I mean, it doesn't say a thousand dollars of damages. And two, who hasn't? Right? <laughs> Who hasn't? Man, you you are taking a dive, my friend. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? We've all been there. So I got one for you here. Uh, our producer, Josh, said that uh, everybody knows this already, but you and I did not know this. <laughs> so I'm going with it. Uh, the voice actors for Mickey and Minnie Mouse are married in real life. I Okay, so apparently everyone knows this. <laughs> I had no idea. How do they keep from doing the voice like around the house? Or is that their voice? Oh, see, that would be that would be incredible. Can we get them on the air? That would that, be remarkable. The real life voices of Mickey and Minnie on our show would be <laughs> probably entertaining for only us. Um, okay, so so this one I actually find really really interesting f- for a number of different reasons. The headline is a GM and DoorDash to deliver food in self driving cars. So this this self driving could go wrong, yeah, right? Possibly, <laughs> but this self driving car thing is you know it's caused a lot of stir, and I know a number of people that. Um, are interested in one. I have, I have friends that have you know talked about some of the, the ethical parameters of self-driving cars and what if there's an accident. But this idea of partnering uh, a DoorDash company with an organization like GM to make this a thing that the article implies that in the next couple of years this could really be a thing that a, a, a car with no one in it could show up at your driveway with the Chinese food you ordered that let's night. Pa- let's pause on the food portion. Let's okay. put that aside. Thoughts on the non-driver car? I, it terrifies me, to be honest. Yeah. Would you get in one? Would I get in one? If yeah, you're I would Uber, do it. Like if you called an Uber and a non-driving car pulled up to your house, would you get in the back seat? Man, I, I would because I, I'm just enough of a thrill seeker that I'd want to – I want to at least experience it once, but I'd be terrified the whole – would you? I, I'm not a thrill seeker and I've got some control issues, so sure. I would – I probably want at least someone to go with me. Yeah. Or, I don't know. Someone to hold my hand while we go. Well, and that's some of the interesting like legal ethical debates are, you know, in the case of an accident where a self-driving car has to make a decision to swerve this way or that way if someone's injured or harmed, mm-hmm. God forbid, there's a whole like launder list of people who would potentially be held accountable. Is it the car owner? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the person that wrote the code? Like there's a lot. It's it's the person who went the wrong direction. Yeah, right. No, no kidding. There's a lot. It just I don't know. It introduces a lot of really interesting debate in my mind. But the idea of using that, that kind of technology to get us our we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Like what 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 would that experience look like? What would that put you off? Would you just I mean, would, does that seem normal? So you got to go to the car and get it though. Yeah, I don't like, think there's like a cyborg. It's not like a Rosie from the Jetsons. Let's situation. take the food portion. What kind of food? Take the self uh, car out of it. What kind of food do you think is legitimate? What kind of food <laughs> do you do you and or your wife call to get delivered to your house? I mean, honestly, it's like pizza and or Chinese food. Yeah, I think pizza might be the limit for us. You and I were talking earlier about off the air about people do McDonald's now. They do everything now. I say more power to them, I guess. It just seems strange how, to me. I don't know. How lazy are we of a culture? <laughs> Come on. Like McDonald's? Yeah, if you can't. What's next? Somebody choose for you? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, uh, that's true. 
But we're all, we're we're a convenience generation too, and I don't know that that's always a bad. I think I think a lot of technological advances have made us way more efficient at certain things. But we've kind of just crammed whatever free time we would have yeah. with more stuff, right? Like, yeah. like people are getting uh, people are getting their McDonald's brought to their house so they can play more Fortnite or something. Right, right. They're not like breaking the. Uh, but that's not new though. Like, if you ever they're not like, like doing complex math usually. I, not usually. <laughs> I confessed this to our church a couple of weeks ago though. I we're, we were talking about the idea of waiting, and yeah. I said, has anyone ever like yelled at a red light for taking too long? Only to rush home and binge watch The Office, like this idea of like <laughs> hurry to do nothing. Like I'm, I'm super, super busy yeah. to you know binge watch this show. Like it's this really strange juxtaposition, and I think this is just the next iteration. Like just bring all the food to me just all the bring time. It, bring it. I guess that's what the kings used to do back in the day. So there's something like this. All right, I got another one for you. Ready? And we can go back to that one if you want. But here's another one for you. Uh, in a U.S. poll, this is back in 2016. So in 2016, for the eighth year in a row, what was voted the most annoying word? Eight oh. years in a row. I don't know what happened in 17 and 18. But as of 2016, this word was voted the most annoying word. I'm going to guess Nickelback. <laughs> is that right? Did I guess right? <laughs> that is not correct. Well, then I'm out of guesses. That was good. That was funny. No, the word is whatever. That's ah, it. whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever was called. The most annoying word. What else you got for me? Well, I, I kind of want to go back to this food delivery thing, though, because okay. I do want to say, so my beautiful, lovely wife is pregnant with our second child. And what is your wife's name again? My wife's name is Katie. Okay. We have a 14-month-old named Owen, and uh, we're due with our number two on February 21st, my birthday. So we're, like, super excited, super pumped, and also, like, a little terrified. And so we we signed up for this Instacart thing that, you know, delivers groceries to our house. Now, that's smart. It it helps my wife out so much, and yes. it's like we can just kind of look on our phone together, and like I'm I'm really really grateful. They just bring it right to your house. Now the last time we did it, they delivered it to the house across the street, <laughs> so we like run over there and get the food and bring it to our house. But like that's a convenience that like really that makes sense to me. And as somebody who is going to have a newborn and a 15 month old, right? I don't think you're leaving the house See, for a while. Thank you. So I you can that. get your McDonald's delivered, <laughs> and you can get your laundry taken out. Uh, yeah, that's. Have you given some thought to that? By the way, have I given thought to how oh, another close your kids are going to be in age? Oh, I'm. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they choose the friend route rather than the enemy route. But oh. like, I grew up in a, a family of seven, and like, we definitely fought. There was definitely some tough seasons there. But like, they're some of my favorite people on planet Earth now, and I. I really love my. Fa- I'm. I'm sure I'm. I'm biased, but like, you know, my brother and I were each other's best men. Like, we grew up to be like really, really. Great friends, and so I'm, I'm. That's my prayer for the two of them. That it'll probably be tough for a while, just because they're so close. I don't think Owen has any sense of, you know, w- what a baby looks like or how to treat one. But I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Good. Maybe naively so. Good. How about this one? What was voted for the third year in a row, uh, the most popular Halloween candy? Oh, it's got to be uh, Skittles. So I'm going with. Uh, you are incorrect. Okay, and, outstanding. Uh, it is my least favorite, I would say, Halloween candy. Got voted the most popular. Uh, mounds. Candy corn. Oh, I love candy corn. Oh, I love candy. If there's a bowl of candy corn in this, I would be eating it nonstop. I don't know what it is. I, I don't think I would eat it. 
If it were sitting here, I think it would sit here for the whole show. I would eat it for the entire show. That's what, that's what <laughs> happened. Okay, so moment of truth. I used to do this when I was a little kid. I would uh, I would have two costumes ready so that I could re-hit up the houses that were giving out king-sized candy bars. Did you ever do that move? That is way too diabolically thoughtful right there. <laughs> Diabolic. That is uh, – that's good stuff right there. Can it be there. considered diabolical if you're eight? Is I that- think so. <laughs> I think it portended for some stuff coming uh, in your future. So that's uh, – yeah, candy corn. No. Big big fan. If it's open anywhere, I'm I'm eating it for sure. Good, good. Got any more funny stuff for me from the internet? <laughs> I, I don't. Do you have other funny things from the internet? Well, here's uh, – we were watching the Golden Globes last night, and uh, as you said, I, the only movie I've seen this entire year that is not animated uh, won all the awards, The Bohemian Rhapsody. I've not seen it. It was uh, it was really good. No kidding. It was really good. Look uh, at how cultured you are. Dark at times because Freddie Mercury's life turned a little dark in the yeah, middle right, there, right. but a little redemptive at the end. But the music is is just fa- I could listen to Queen all the time. So, do you, do you think there'll ever be a band anywhere remotely close to the impact of Queen or the the drama of Queen, uh, other than Nickelback? <laughs> <laughs> Right, Nickelback notwithstanding, absolutely. <laughs> no, it was it was, and I didn't know a lot of the story. That's what made it really crazy. Uh, is uh, the story of Freddie Mercury and Queen was uh, was pretty fascinating. Was it okay? I I found one. I, you're not going to like it though. I'm just going to preempt it. Bring it. You might like it. Okay. The headline is "Knitters Assemble World's Largest Blanket in Ireland." So <laughs> it's twenty one thousand four hundred seventy one square feet. Which can I just say? I, I'm Irish. Should the Irish? Be making blankets. Like, have you ever worn a sweater from Ireland? They're not. It's the least comfortable thing in the world. But 21,000 square feet. That's uh, an incredible feat. I'm looking at this picture, and it's – I don't know what you do with that. They, like, <laughs> set a record, and I was just going to sit in a warehouse, I guess. Uh, that is pretty big. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. <laughs> Part of the goal today is to help listeners get to know you and I a little bit. So it's our first day. That's right. And uh, – you know, we've given them some of the more serious stuff about us, like where we work, family, stuff like that. Yeah. Let's get a little more, uh, a little more under the surface. If I could give you, uh, if you could go for a week's vacation anywhere in the continental United States, where would you go? Oh, continental. Uh, continental. Man, oh, man. Uh, we, we would love, like my, my wife really loves like driving Big Sur, like that mm. whole coast area, like waves and water. And if we can get the forest and mountains that that's about as good as it gets. So somewhere, somewhere over in that region, I think would be ideal for us. What about you? Any beach. If I Any beach. go really? to the ocean, which I think is funny that I ended up in the Midwest. <laughs> right. Uh, nothing makes me angrier than when Midwest people try to equate Lake Michigan to an ocean. I mean, Nothing I'm a big fan of Lake Michigan, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm a fan. It's just, it's like, a, it's an apple and an orange is what it is. And so uh, I could go to beaches. If, I, if it's warm enough to swim and lay on the beach and just do that, I'm in. All right, last one for you. Ready? Lay it on me. Now, people are really going to know you. Okay. Uh, preferred breakfast cereal. Go. Oh, people are going to boo me to the end of the week. I love Raisin Bran. <laughs> Sugar added or no? No, you don't add the raisins. That's God's candy. You don't need to add sugar to raisin. You add sugar to raisin bran? Yes. We're really drilling down to the deep topics. Yes, you today. add sugar to raisin <laughs> oh, bran. Oh, my goodness. I think when I was a kid, it was Lucky Charms. Oh, gosh, that explains then a lot. It does. Then I became a huge fan of Golden Grahams. I mean, I, I can support a Golden Gram, but you can't. That's not an everyday kind of breakfast. That's insanity. Well, I don't know. You have I it every go. day. <laughs> I could go every day, so... 
just helping the people get to know us a little bit. We're really excited to be a part of the common ground, uh, the common good. I did it again <laughs> of the common good. And we're excited for what this show is going to be about. Absolutely. We just finished our first hour. Yeah, we just finished our first hour, man. And it is humbling uh, to dream and to think. And if you're a listener out there, we're going to hopefully grow and get better as this goes. Everything from remembering the correct name to <laughs> uh, to hopefully engaging you. And we're about to have a, a guest in the next segment who is just, uh, I, I think, is going to blow you away. Um, but we want to, we really, Ian and I both want to engage with those of you on the other side of the radio or the podcast. So uh, as time goes on and we give you ways to reach out, please do. We'd love to know who you are. Uh, we would love to meet you. And uh, I think you'd agree we, we, we don't want to be an echo chamber. We want to meet the people who are out there. That's right. Well, wonderful. As we said, that is the end of our first hour of The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, uh, author and blogger Julie Royce is going to be our first guest. And she is going to come on and talk about her extensive reporting uh, and writing upon what's going on with James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel and also uh, – the, what it pretends for all churches out there. So uh, come on back and join us uh, at the top of the next hour as we talk to Julie Royce here on, on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Again, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Uh, and we have the honor right now of being joined on the phone uh, by Julie Royce. Julie is a speaker and writer whose articles have appeared in Christianity Today, Religion News Service, The Christian Post, The Federalist, and World Magazine, written a bunch of books, and uh, is in the middle of her art- most recent article about all that's going on at Harvest Bible Chapel. So, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on our first ever, uh, first ever show today. Hey, what a privilege to be on with you on your maiden voyage. I'm excited. So <laughs> welcome to WYLL, guys. And, thank you uh, so good much. Good to be with you. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Julie, you've, uh, we really wanted to talk to you today because you have done extensive writing uh, and blogging over the multiple months, uh, specifically about some of the issues going on uh, at Harvest Bible Chapel and some other things. And so we're wondering, uh, for those who don't know, if you could just summarize a little bit I know that's hard to do in just a short amount of time, but if you could summarize just a little bit uh, of what what has been going on. Sure, and I would encourage people, because it's hard to summarize what really was eight months of investigative reporting um, that came out in a World Magazine article, and then I've done some more blogging. Um, if you want to read those, you can go to my blog, julieroys.com. But uh, to put in a nutshell, um, there were a number of allegations by former staff and elders concerning the character of senior pastor James McDonald and also um, financial and kind of spiritual abuse um, of uh, not just James McDonald, but some of the staff there at Harvest Bible Chapel. So again, those were allegations that are serious allegations brought by people, uh, in one case, eight former elders writing a letter um, pointing out what they felt were disqualifications from ministry 
concerning James McDonald, um, but also uh, money used that was supposedly designated, for example, for Harvest Bible Fellowship, uh, the church's church planting network, some saying that money, instead of going to church planting, went to um, some rather unusual um, expenses, like a staff person at Har- uh, Camp Harvest in Michigan who uh, maintained a deer herd that was spent for, uh, that was actually paid for by funds uh, that were donated to Walk in the Word, the broadcast ministry of James McDonald. So some, some pretty serious allegations. Um, all of those, um, I don't take those lightly, especially when made against somebody who is a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so try to follow as much as possible the biblical mandate to only do so with two or three, or, you know, in some cases, eight, 10, 12 witnesses yeah. uh, to these occurrence and uh, to document them very carefully. But that's the situation right now. And uh, as these have now been coming out, uh, what is the feedback that you've been getting? What is uh, what has been the reaction that you've been dealing with? Yeah, a lot of feedback. A lot of former Harvest members uh, and staff saying thank you. Um, mm. We've known this has been going on for years. And there was actually a blog called The Elephant's Debt that had documented this starting back as, as long ago as 2012 but really wasn't getting a lot of traction. And I know those guys uh, have really appreciated this being brought to light. Um, but a lot of people feeling like, man, we've been talking about this for so many years. Why is it that nothing's been done? Thank you for doing this. And um, so I've heard a lot of that and have been very gratified by that response. And also response of just uh, grief. And I don't think anybody takes joy when you're bringing to light these kind of uh, this kind of wrongdoing, this kind of misconduct. I mean, it grieves the whole body of Christ, and it doesn't it, it doesn't do any good. But I really have tried to follow, you know, First Timothy five, where it says, when you have an elder who is sinning, publicly expose him, so that others may take warning. Mm. And this is a warning kind of situation right. that you you have that incredible responsibility. Both of you are pastors, so you know, and right. I, I trust feel that, and um, and so. I've heard a lot of that. Now, of course, there's also some that are very angry at me yeah. for for bringing this to light. And I, I always expect that, and it always happens. And um, it's a case of shooting the messenger, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some people that, even if they believe it's true, just don't want to hear it or, or just feel like it shouldn't be talked about. Um, but again, I would go back to Scripture. And even um, Paul, who confronted Peter publicly because right. he wasn't he, he wasn't eating with Gentiles not only confronted him publicly, verbally, but then wrote about it, just yep. like I'm doing. And sure. so I think there is precedent for doing that, um, but always always some difficulty. And then, of course, the biggest feedback I, I wrote about that, um, that I heard about just last week, and that was that uh, James McDonald decided to pull Walk in the Word, which has been a program more than 20 years on Christian radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, ostensibly, he said he did it because um, it, he said radio is a dying medium and kind of disparaged Christian yeah. radio. Uh, but behind the scenes, and actually I had one um, Christian radio manager who said, hey, we pulled the program, and I know a lot of other people who are pulling the program. So a lot of people feeling like that was kind of a preemptive move. Wow. So can you can you catch us up? Like what I, I'm curious, maybe not necessarily at this scale, but this can't be just an isolated incident here and, and exactly to your point like we're not interested in a, in a witch hunt we don't we don't celebrate this sort of like heartache and division but like what how did how does this 
happen? How do we get here in the first place? Like, what are, what are the, and as best you can tell, like, what are the what are the things or decisions or patterns that like led us to this today? That is that is such an important question, and I feel like post mortem kind of discussion on this whole thing is going to be how could something go so wrong for so long? Right. And and we know it's kind of an isolated incident. We have similar things happening, for example, right in our backyard at Willow Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, where you had allegations of sexual misconduct by the pastor and the elder board not doing anything about it. You have the whole elder board resigning. Um, I really think this is a case and, and just a glaring example of elders not doing their job. Mm. And this has become, I think, a real problem uh, across the board and why we're seeing so many scandals, especially at mega churches, where you have a mega church pastor who's become such a celebrity. He's He's the brand, right? And he's the one that everybody is giving money to. And so it becomes the tail wagging the dog when it comes to the elder board. But in this case specifically, I talked to longtime elder board chairman, uh, Dave Corning, who was there from the founding of Harvest Bible Chapel. He was the chairman of the board, not just of Harvest Bible Chapel, but of Walking the Word and Harvest Bible Fellowship, their church planning network, and had invested so much in that church. And he saw in 2009, he told me about how James McDonald, with a small committee of very loyal people to him, uh, restructured, mm-hmm. you know, came up with a proposal to restructure the, the elder board, take away all of the, the actual governing aspects as far as the legal documents, the financial accountability, all that, take that away and give that to staff. And then it, it eventually became this small group of called the executive committee that would hold all of that. And that executive committee, as I pointed out in my World Magazine article, uh, to remove the senior pastor requires mm. a unanimous vote of the executive committee on which James McDonald sits. Wow. So there's functionally no way to get rid of the senior pastor unless, of course, the senior pastor wants to get rid of himself, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare. So I think those kind of church governance issues that nobody, I mean, it's interesting when I was writing this story, I said to Marvin Olasti, the uh, editor of World Magazine, I'm like, Marvin, there's such a story here with church government. And he said, Julie, I get that and you get that. And that's important to us. But I can tell you probably only 12% of our readers pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a travesty because that is the story, because this is about church government. It is about how to hold leaders accountable. Mm -hmm. And Christians, church members need to pay attention. They need to read those boring bylaws, but really look at them because those are important. And that's how something like this happened. Oh, that's powerful. Uh, Ian and I are both pastors, as you know, um, small church, big church. Uh, and uh, what is a word of advice after all of this reporting you've done and all the people you've talked to? What would you say to pastors to protect themselves, to not go down a path of power or whatever else? Uh, what would be a word of wisdom you would give to pastors? Well, uh, I mean, it's guard your heart and work mm-hmm. out your salvation with fear and trembling, even more so. You know, those who are in leadership um, have that double burden, right? A greater responsibility. And it would be better for you to be sunk in the deepest sea with a millstone right. hung around your, right. your neck <laughs> than to lead people astray. Yeah. I think there needs to be a healthy fear of pastors, and they need to remind mm. themselves of, of that, and they need to be fearful of their own sin nature. Mm. And that means that you structure your church in some such a way that you don't have that much power. Mm. And you put some people on that elder board. You make sure that elder board has power to remove you. You make sure that elder board has power to hold you accountable. Right. And you make sure there's people on that elder board who know you well and will regularly call you on 
when you start, you know, stepping out of line, when you start sinning, that you have that. And you just have to remain humble. And, and that's just hard and outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, who of us could ever do that? Absolutely. Um, especially when you get that huge platform. So um, that would be my, my admonition to pastors. It's good. To I'm challenged. Be accountable. Yeah, yep. no kidding. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, as we close this up, we're so grateful for your time. We thank you. Is there any additional reporting that you think is coming on this story that you're working on? Is there another shoe to drop uh, that you could share with us? Well, uh, today we actually won a victory in court. Uh, Harvest had filed two motions, one motion to stay discovery, in other words, to stop any more subpoenas or um, depositions uh, in this lawsuit. Some people may not realize this. Harvest actually, before I had published anything, filed a lawsuit against me and four other defendants who were the the authors of the the elephant's debt. Um, Because of that lawsuit, though, that's given us the opportunity to subpoena people, to get documents, to to interview people about uh, some of the charges um, that we had brought against him. And uh, so anyway, today... A judge denied that motion to stop our discovery, which means we can continue doing it. And also there was a motion that Harvest had brought to uh, have a protective order on everything that we've gained so far through subpoena. Well, that was denied as well. So it's a real victory for freedom of speech. Mm. um, And it's also a victory, I believe, for truth. So um, I have a lot of that information uh, in my possession right now and just really praying about how to release that, how much to release, how to do it. Um, so I would just appreciate listeners' prayers uh, on this because I want to do it in a way uh, that is proper and that brings glory to God and and um, furthers the kingdom. But again, sometimes that involves telling the unfortunate truth. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there'll probably be a little bit more reporting yeah. to do. Well, Julie, thank you so much. Uh, we're honored that you are our first ever guest here on The Common Good. And uh, we are really grateful. Again, you can reach Julie Royce. You can read her stuff at julieroys.com or find her on Twitter, um, all sorts of other places. Julie, we look forward to reading uh, what comes out next from you, uh, and we're grateful that you chose to join us today. Well, thanks, guys, and welcome. I hope uh, to do this more. We would love that. Absolutely. We would love that. Again, that's Julie Royce, and uh, grateful to have her here with us today on The Common Good. Uh, when we come back, Ian and I are going to react a little bit Uh, to what we heard there in that interview. So we hope you continue to join us on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. Uh, Again, this is our first show, the first show of The Common Good here on AM 1160. The maiden voyage. The maiden voyage. (laughs) And we are excited that you have chosen to spend some of your Monday afternoon with us. Uh, on this dreary gray day. Uh, If you were with us in the last segment, Julie Royce uh, joined us to talk about her extensive writing and reporting on all that's going on at Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, but also kind of expanding it more into issues of power and church governance. Uh, It was a lot there, man. That was was quality stuff. It was really good. I got to first say, she is wise. Yes. I just, I am kind of still chewing on some of the stuff that she was sharing. I think uh, I mean, can I just be honest? Yep. This this stuff like breaks my heart. Yeah, um, we're pastors at heart. We're it pastors. really, really grieves me. It mm-hmm. at, at so many levels. Like I don't even think I have enough time to get into how much this busts me up. Mm-hmm. This this kind of stuff. The local body leadership and and so much of what she was saying was really uh, in a lot of ways a reiteration of what we were taught at Judson. Um, but like, what an important reminder that 
man, these parameters were not, they're not just things that we talk about in classrooms anecdotally so that we yeah. could or couldn't do them. Like, like, it's incredible to see, because we've mentioned this even before too, like big church, small church, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't even really matter. The, this, like, this temptation towards control or, or power or, or isolation or, or padding yourself from correction um, is a, it's a real temptation. Things get done faster or easier, you know, and I think what she was saying too about that posture of fear, like healthy fear, like remember um, that the position that you've been called to, pastors, leaders, elders, staff members, like I remember at my ordination, a, um, a mentor of mine told a story about, you know, at the battlefield, the generals are on horses which gives you a, a better vantage point to the battlefield, but it also makes you an easier target for the enemy. Yeah. And I've like never, ever forgotten that analogy that, yes, you, you can see things when you're in a leadership role that maybe other people can't, but you're that much more clear of a target for the enemy. And I think that's what she was getting after, like with fear and trembling, remembering that there is an enemy yeah. that wants nothing more than to dismantle you, your ministry, your family, and really ultimately remembering it's not your ministry. Yep. It's not Jesus is the lead pastor. He's the lead shepherd. And, and I think sometimes we get that we get that backwards. We get that fuzzy, you know. And for me, you know, as we think about takeaways for the listeners, the listeners who are you know church parishioners, maybe they aren't. Yeah. Um, I think there are some really strong takeaways there. For me, one of them is this: um, it's be vigilantly concerned about the, just the health of your church. Yeah. Uh, don't uh, not about kind of ancillary stuff, yeah. but but is there healthy leadership is there healthy elders is there um is it just doing it right right um and that's i don't know the inner workings of harvest or willow but this is a small church problem too there's a lot of small churches that are terribly unhealthy with power hungry pastors this is not a mega church versus small church thing this is all churches uh but i think people need to um know that their leaders are, are, are servants and sacrificial yeah. and, and not um, not bent on power. Well, and that's honestly, this is one of the things that I've so appreciated about Dave and John Ferguson. Brothers, by the way, that planted a church. That's yeah. a miracle in and of itself. But yep. like getting to know both of them just as people, as men, as, as husbands, as fathers, like sharing coffee with them. And I've been so impressed, not just with their integrity, but like just their humanity, just their, they willingly share sometimes the stuff they're struggling with, which is, you know, and some that's 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 bonkers to me in some yeah. capacity. Like that, why are you? That's amazing that you would feel like that to them is an important and should be for all of us an important part of transparency and vulnerability and accountability. And I, I'm just I'm really really I'm grateful for um, leadership being modeled for us in people like Dave and John who who live that out, not just write books about it, right? Yeah. Not just give talks about it, but actually like walk the talk. And I would say as a pastor. Uh, another takeaway for those who aren't pastors is pray for your leaders. Yeah, pray for the leaders of your church. Uh, there is a lot of temptation there. Yep. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, when you have a pulpit or you have a stage and people are regularly giving you microphones and asking your opinion on things like that can really feed some ego. Yeah. Uh, so be praying for your pastors, please, uh, and engage your church. Don't attend the church. What well, is one of our favorite lines we always say? Um, Church isn't something you attend. It's a family you belong to. Right. So get in the family. Get in the mess of it. Uh, be a part of it. Uh, pray for your church. Hold them accountable. Uh, and we all long to see healthy churches across the, the Chicagoland and beyond um, spreading the gospel and being good ambassadors That's right. of Christ.
So that's just our response to Julie. Just really thankful for Julie Royce. Yep. Uh, not just the work she's doing, but for being the first ever guest here <laughs> on The Common Good. Uh, we're, we're grateful that you've been joining us. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about who are the types of people that people, we, we found a survey about uh, people uh, that Christians trust more than their pastors. And you and I were really <laughs> humbled by that and got some laughs out of it. So we're going to share that. Uh, hope you come back and join us. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Maiden Voyage Show, Brian Fromm. Uh, glad that you're here. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about an article that I read this morning that uh, I chuckled to keep from crying. Does uh-huh. that make sense? <laughs> like it was funny, but also the more I thought about it, uh, it was a little, it was a little disheartening. And the the the, the, tar- the title of the article was "The Seven People That Christians Trust More Than Their Pastors." Now, the people in the list weren't, you know, like drug dealers or like, it, but it was it was actually just kind of humbling to read that like trust in clergy fell to thirty seven percent among Americans as a whole. And there's all these other... In fact, my friend John Armstrong is quoted in the article, and they're guessing these different reasons, and there's some really, I think, public reasons. But just in general, trust in clergy, trust in pastors, not just in the ability to do a good job, but just trustworthiness is apparently on this like massive decline. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that? Like, How does that strike you? I think there's been a lot of bad stories about yeah. clergy. Yeah. I think in the news, whether it be... And no one is, uh, I don't think any type of church has been immune to it. Uh, it's been non-denominational evangelical churches, like we right. talked about just a couple segments ago. The Catholic Church, all sorts of churches. It feels like uh, when you turn on the news and hear anything about clergy, it's never a good thing. Why Why do you think that's... Is that more... Is, is there more noise around that topic now than there was five years ago, ten years ago? Like, do you think the problems are actually getting worse or is our access to information just greater than it was 10 years ago like what what do you think is really going on there i think it's probably an access to information but that's not to say that it's not bad i think it's saying that it used to be bad <laughs> it's still bad yeah I think, uh, I think it's a classic example of one bad apple uh, spoiling the bunch yeah like you and i know lots of pastors yeah right and if i hang out if i've got 40 say pastors in my life I can say pretty definitively 38 of them are awesome guys who yes. are in it for the right reason. Right. They want they they love Jesus deeply. They want other people to know Jesus deeply. They want other people to grow in their faith. But it's the one or two uh who had the affair or stole some money or were just mean. Right. right. Um and so that's at least how I've seen it. Every pastor I've ever had in my life has been positive. Hmm. Um but I do think that um, that the more you hear about clergy abuse or other stories that need to come out, right? I'm, ve- I'm a big fan. Don't hear me wrong. I'm a big fan of people hearing these stories and people being held accountable for Absolutely. them. Um, but I do think I just want to. Uh, sometimes it saddens me that that there's this kind of painting with a broad brush about clergy because just about every pastor that I respect and know. Uh, are such good ge- uh, yeah. men and women who, yeah. who want people to hear about Jesus. Uh, and I would totally agree. Like, these are some of my best friends, people yeah. that I like, am doing life with, and we're in the trenches together. And you're right, the vast majority of them 
are just these incredibly solid men and women. I think it's not just a matter of like these massive, you know, you know, uh, discrepancies. I think it's also. I remember getting an email a couple of years ago, and in the subject heading, it said, uh, "Pastors beware, millennials are fact checking." <laughs> and I was like, "What a strange war!" Like it's essential. The subtext was, "Hey, you can't keep making up statistics in your sermons because I believe seventy-four <laughs> percent of people said that." <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Like what a strange thing to send out. Like, yeah. hey, you need to get out in front of this because there was almost this. Like, everyone's aware that we flub these numbers. And we make yeah. these. You got to stop doing that because you're going to get called out. I thought, man, and, and maybe that I let that affect me more than I should have. But it was, it was heartbreaking that that needed to be a warning in the first place. Hey, don't lie in the pulpit, even yeah. with seemingly minuscule details and facts. Like, be intentional about being people. Exactly what Julie was saying about of. Uh, uh, of integrity, yeah. of morale, of uprightness, of accountability, and I think it's not just these like huge like career-ending mistakes, but yep. it's it's like making these small choices to be to be upright, to be trustworthy. Like I, you know, I talked with a couple people this morning about this article, and they're like, well, "What do we got to do to get this trust back?" And right. I was like, "Be trustworthy, yeah. like be worthy of people." Putting their, there's no way to just bump your rankings in this article by tomorrow. Like, be a biblical pastor. Be a biblical pastor. <laughs> what I, yeah, right. Which even that's complicated, right? Like, that's not an easy open and shut type of discussion. But I think. I am looking at the list here. We are above stockbrokers, telemarketers, and car salespeople. <laughs> well, thank God. And members of Congress still. So, Well, the number one is nurses. That's and, good. And I'm good with that. Appropriately. So I'm, I'm more than okay with that. Yeah. I, I would say going back. Uh, something that has always struck me weird as being a pastor is is something that I hear often from people, uh, and that is this ability that people don't feel like they have the ability to know their pastor. Hmm. The, um, I do some good things and I do some things not well as a pastor, but one thing that I've regularly heard from people is that has always struck me as weird is um, you just seem like a regular guy. And I'm always like, well, what did your last pastor <laughs> right. seem like? Right. Um, and I think that plays into this too. Hmm. It is there's a there's a feeling amongst a lot of people as they look at the clergy or their pastors that there's something not fully authentic there. There's That's something wrong. There's something being even hidden. I think for the more skeptical people, uh, so I would encourage you know pastors too like to be authentic. And and I would encourage people reach out to your pastor. They they want to be known. No I, kidding. I, I mean I know I'm an extrovert, but. I'd rather go out to coffee with somebody from my church than sit in my office and read another book. 100%. Totally. That's a really interesting point, though, because it's not necessarily – the article isn't necessarily saying they're untrustworthy. They're saying they're not – and how could I trust someone that I don't know? Like yeah. I think – you know, you ever go to a you know, department store and someone's real salesman You know, they're kind of coming after you and you're like, yeah. hey, man, I, I don't know you. Just hey, take a breather. I think sometimes pastors can come across that way, particularly to a skeptic. Like wow, hold on, man. We don't we don't know each other yet. And I'm I'm with you 100. percent I would much rather just have a cup of coffee, get to know your story, spend some time. And I think I get the same comments too. Wow, you're surprisingly normal. You probably yeah. get it more than I do, to be honest. I do. Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> it, it, it's always a weird comment. Like, oh yeah, I feel like you're just one of the guys. I'm right. Like, well, I think that's a good thing. But um, but I do think uh, I would encourage people to, like we did in the last segment, to. Be a part of a church where you do feel like you can trust the pastor and respect the pastor. Don't, I would say, don't go to a place because they're the wow speaker right. or, or you know, the smoke machines are great or whatever <laughs> else. I would say, go to a place where you feel like you trust and respect. 
yeah. not just the pastor, but the elders and the other people in leadership. Right. Uh, otherwise, I don't know what the why you would be at a church where you don't feel like you can respect the person. Well, and Paul talks pretty bluntly in Ephesians, right? He says the, the these the work of the pastor, leader, teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the the goal isn't even like find the guy, the, the girl that's the most compelling communicator. That's important, I think. Mm-hmm. But like we're the church, right? Yeah. We don't change the world by going to church. We change the world by being the church. And this idea that like yeah, we're in this together. And I, you know, I I love my parents. My they've talked a lot about how do you how do you remain at one church after you know a number of different pastors over the yeah. decades. And my mom will always say, "This is my family. These are my these are my people. You do life with these people." And almost as secondary at best. If the person on the stage is a good communicator or they're, you know, I think that she's got this really beautiful priority of like, man, this is, it's about doing life That's together awesome. and how we actually make that a priority. Can we use the phrase again? Um, church is not something you attend. It's a family you belong That's to. That's right. And just immerse yourself in the family, the messiness of it. And then I think you're going to get the full picture of what the church is meant to be. Uh, before we hop out of this segment, I do want to point out that one spot above us clergy are funeral, funeral directors. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me as funny. One uh, step above us. I'm sure there's a metaphor or a sermon illustration there somewhere that we could is, use. There is. So, Well, I, I hope that you heard that, that the, the goal is not just to simply find a perfect church because it doesn't exist, to find a perfect Let pastor. Let us know when you right, find it. They, they don't <laughs> exist. But to enter into the messiness, to be a, to be a part of the family and what, what God is doing in that community. So uh, when we return, we're going to talk a little bit about millennials. Uh, and this article calls millennials the generation of burnouts. I think that's a really fascinating observation. So uh, join us after the break. And uh, we're here at AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by my co-host, who is currently dancing, <laughs> Pastor Brian Fromm. I want to talk a little bit about this article that I read, though, that is... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this music right now. Do you? This is I good. Mean, who's, whose idea is this? We <laughs> could all just dance together. Why yeah. not? Okay, so this article is talking about uh, millennials in particular um, as the generation of burnout. Mm. And when I first read that, I thought, how could that already be true? But the more that I thought about it, like by some definitions, I'm a millennial. Like people, you know, in their in their mid-30s. And I think as I was diving into this article, it was, I was really resonating with a lot of the uh, the narrative of this writer and... She was talking about how, like, I run, I run a company and I, you know, I have a mortgage, and yet I was struggling to like get clothes to the dry cleaners, to like schedule mm-hmm. a dentist appointment. These like seemingly mundane tasks that I just couldn't figure out how to do. I couldn't, I couldn't make it happen. And as you kind of dive further into the article, what what really struck me was that she was beginning to realize these symptoms, this like decision paralysis, mm. as burnout. And she's like, I never even. I never saw that as a possibility because in her mind, a burnout is for like, you know, a stockbroker, a high paid lawyer. Like uh, how, how could I just as a, as a writer be experiencing burnout? And I, and I, I resonate with some of that because I, you know, I grew up in this kind of really blue collar culture. And I remember my first couple of years of ministry feeling this like new type of exhaustion, but not feeling like I had a license to be exhausted. Like, oh, you just what gave a couple sermons and now you're tired, like boo hoo. But like, it took really important mentors in my life to identify like, no, that's emotional exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion. So what really struck me about this article was that the reason this writer felt that she was like headed towards burnout is because every version of work that she was handed from, you know, previous generations was that you just have to work all the time. Mm -hmm. Like that's the appropriate posture. And so she, she'd been internalizing that narrative and was burning herself out, and she didn't even realize that. And I thought, how fascinating that, you know, 
people in their 20s are picking up on these things so early that if I continue at this pace, I'm, I'm going to eventually implode, even though I'm not a laborer, I'm not doing what I think justifies these feelings and like paying attention to those things early. Like, I, Have you experienced some of that? Uh, I, I did uh, last, I would say last spring, uh, into my sabbatical. I had a sabbatical this summer in just that feeling of, I wonder how much of it, because this is true for me, I wonder how much of it is true for in general of the millennials that you're talking about or mm. just I think it's across the board, right? People who are tired and burned out. Right. And, uh, I wonder how much of it is the fact that nowadays we're always on. Oh, yeah. You are never – you have to really try to not be connected. Right. Uh, like I even if you could see our setup right now, right? You and I are looking at each other at the microphones, but we have laptops and phones and this right. and that. Like it, even in a moment where we're on the radio, we're still in some ways could be reached. Mm. And so um, I often wonder that that – always feeling like you're on and connected and never like oh i'm done with work and i'm going home today and i'm going to put my feet up and watch a show and hang out with my family and Mm. i I do wonder if that adds to the speed of burnout i think particularly for millennials right who haven't really ever known an existence without a smartphone right they were kind of like born into it and we don't seem to have a lot of good data yet as to the long-term effects but I, i keep reading stuff about you know, Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. These, Isn't these, it weird? That they, they limited their children's yes. screen time. I'm like, what do they know that the rest of us don't yes. know that this constant attachment, this always being on, does actually like affect not just our souls, I don't think, but also our, our bodies, our brains, our eyes. And I think it's like never truly recovering from a workout, right? It's like always yeah. holding a little weight at all times you, that over time affects you. You just always have information, always have new contacts just always and it is tiring uh i know over sabbatical i tried to get really good i got off of things like facebook just deleted it twitter deleted it uh didn't have anyone no one was emailing me and Hmm. the first two weeks it was um it was a little unnerving it took two weeks uh probably but here's what's unnerving about it and i'm interested to know if you think this too i think something that's wrong in our culture that it probably runs all the way down to the youngest people is equating busyness with mm. importance. Oh, that's good. And so therefore when I'm not busy, mm. uh, when I am just relaxing at home with my family, mm. when I am reading a book, when I am doing something leisurely, going for a walk, one of my favorite things someday, hopefully you'll get to meet her with a little 14 pound dog. <laughs> uh, and one of my favorite things to do is just to walk her and, but I think sometimes we just mess up and think that if I'm not busy yeah. producing something, doing something, working on something, then I'm not important. Right. And that's right. a really, really dangerous tie-in. But that's, that's to your identity talk, right? Yeah. This idea that uh, I am the sum of what I can accomplish. Right. I think it's fascinating even when I think about like the creation account. The first thing that Adam and Eve do, the first thing that these first human uh, – these created humans do is rest. Yeah. Then comp- I often thought about rest as like recovery from an insane week that I just had so I can just, you know, do it again the next day. Like their initial posture. And I wonder if there's significance to them beginning with rest as a way of saying your identity, first and foremost, is an image bearer of God before right. you can accomplish or achieve anything. The posture of rest. I wonder if that's why Jesus is often saying things like, are you weary? Are you tired? Yeah. I- I've come to give you a new religion. He's like, no. Yeah. I've come to give you rest, yep. like really, truly 
restorative rest. There's this, this Hemingway quote that I've always loved, and he said, uh, never mistake motion for action. Yeah. To your point, that like sometimes we, we just we feel better if we're doing something, even if it's not pointing in a helpful direction, it's not focused or in any way contributing to the, the common good of yeah. society or culture. Yeah. I think there is a temptation, particularly for pastors. I don't know if you feel this. Like, really, and sometimes even the, the pride of, like, having them look over my shoulder, like, oh, look at how busy my schedule yeah, is. Oh, yeah. boy, I got a lot going on. Aren't you, aren't you impressed? Like, isn't that kind of twisted that we – there's, there's just this danger. It's just this danger. And I think millennials, like you said, have been living in it, and they're just burning out quickly from it because they've never not known any different. I mean, I, like I said, I have a 15-year-old daughter who's in high school, mm. uh, and I worry about her burning out in high school. Because of the expectation level and the, I mean, her existence, her reality in high school is so different hmm. than mine 25 years ago. Right. I mean, I, I can't even describe how different it is. The expectation, it's not even like she's putting it upon herself or my wife and I are putting it on it's her. It's just there. It's legitimately what is expected wow. of her um, that I can understand. And I think on the millennial thing, you add on top of that, what is one of the big characteristics of that generation? It's, I want to make an impact on the world. Yes, right. And when you don't feel like you're making that impact, what result does that have on you? I think we need to redefine this. What does it mean to have an impact on the world? Maybe, yes. the, maybe the call is to have an impact on your world. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And I wonder if there's something to learn from even the pattern of Jesus that, you know, obviously was performing miracles, he's multiplying food, he's healing lame, like he's doing work. And then there's multiple times where the text literally says there were still sick people and he left. Yeah, I have to be about my, he had this, of all the people that should have had a Messiah complex, he doesn't seem to have one. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe the Messiah should. That's, but that's so convicting to me that like yeah. there still was work to do and he decided still that he needed to, he needed to rest. Yeah, it's, and it's fascinating to me, and it's almost infuriating when you read the Gospels. Yeah, right, Come right. on, Jesus, you've got three years. Yes, like, right. Do you really need to go off again and pray? And just the fact that that is sometimes how I feel about it when I read it tells you mm. what's misplaced in my um, where I find my value and my relationship with my Heavenly Father. No that, kidding. That it's like, oh my gosh, prayer is almost a waste of time because I could be using that time to accomplish something when in fact— Prayer is the is the foundation to accomplishing anything. Right, right. Um, it's the sharpening of the axe, right? We think that we're getting more done by just continuing to chop, but we'd actually get more done, I think, if we actually pause to, sh- to sharpen the axe. I think it was Martin Luther that said, I have so much to do today that I should spend the first three hours in yeah. prayer. Like, yeah. that's so counterintuitive for us. I have so much to do today, so I, prayer can probably wait till tomorrow, yeah. right? Like, because I have to go accomplish, I have to go do, and I think that, that that can be a real temptation for us. So I think the takeaway for everybody, not just millennials, I think everybody, like, I'm not a millennial, I'm getting older now, and everybody needs to have this, uh, I think you need to take seriously the need to disconnect. That's right. And take seriously the need to be prayerful. That's right. If you disconnect from the world and connect in prayer, I don't think you're going to burn out. And I think you're going to, you're going to bear much fruit in your life. And I think when you do that, things are exposed where you might be in danger of burning out, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's not some sort of magic. It's not just that prayer magically makes your life less exhausting, but it exposes, Hey, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we run from silence and rest because maybe we're afraid of what we're going to hear. But I think that's something that we all together share in common well we made it our our first we show my did friend it. we've landed I the plane can't, i can't i can't <laughs> believe it it has been such a blast to be with you today thank you for joining us join us tomorrow at 4 p.m we're doing this again we're gonna do it tomorrow <laughs> what time are we doing it 4 p.m 4 p.m at a.m 1160 hope for your life have a great day 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.